Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. The day after, the last day after of 2019, got Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. Carolina runs it up. On Temple 55-13 in the Military Bowl on Friday afternoon. Buck, a pretty solid ending to a a fantastic season in Mac Brown's 2.0 first year. Fantastic ending, yes, absolutely. And for as much as a talk was ahead of the Military Bowl about, uh, and, you know, I think you and uh, Greg and, Jason are taking some heat for this, uh, how it, you know, is just not as important and, you know, whether they win or lose, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you said. Don't get me, uh, don't get twisted up about it. But, um, I think, yeah, it probably, at, at a certain level, that's right. That, uh, the fact that they won, uh, may not be a g- great big deal, but I think the way that they won was a great big deal and you know if you think about a lot of the things that mac brown said from his opening press conference and from the very first time he stepped to the podium at unc and everything that he's emphasized the entire year long just kind of came to fruition in the in the uh, military bowl the type of offense that he wants, you know, a, an offense with air raid principles and can also run the ball on full display yesterday. They threw it for, you know, 296 and ran it for 238. Um, they converted 11 of 14, uh, third downs. They were five of seven on touchdowns in the red zone. Um, there was a lot going on in, in that game that, you could just hear echoes of what Mac Brown has said all year. The big thing to me was how many times have you guys heard him say that the uh, last five minutes of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half are the most important? Well, in, in those two time periods, North Carolina went from 17 to six to 34 to six um, yesterday. And so that's, that's just one of his mantras that, uh, you hear time and time again, and if I can be a little bit long-winded, you know, the the pregame speech that he gave is not that much different from anything he said all year, but he, you know, emphasized again, just do your job. Go out there and do your job, and everything will take care of the, you know, take care of itself. That mantra, I think, is important because I never saw a time yesterday uh, on the field, really on any particular play where the players, every single player on the field for North Carolina did not look confident. They looked confident. I mean, they weren't cocky in any, uh, bad sort of way where, well, this team is not as good as us. So we were not going to play as hard. They were confident in, on every single play that I know what my job is. I know how to do it. Um, I know when to do it, how to do it, and the whole ball of wax. And I think that leads to confident play. 
And, you know, they look very, very confident the entire game. And, you know, the, even though you're just doing your job, that doesn't mean you can't do your job in a spectacular fashion, like Newsom's catches and, uh, you know, Sam's throws that throw that he, uh, he made over two, uh, temple defenders in the end zone where Newsom was falling backwards and got a foot, you know, inside. That was a heck of a throw. I mean, it was a great catch. Don't get me wrong. That was an unbelievable catch, but, um, Hal had to get that ball up over the heads of a couple of, uh, temple players to, for Newsom to be able to make that catch. So I, I think the, the way that they won the game is perhaps even more important than the fact that they did win it. Jason, I agree with Buck there. I mean, uh, all wins are not alike and Carolina's win yesterday against Temple. I mean, Buck highlighted a few of the ridiculous plays. I thought the, the throw to Diami Brown there down there on the one yard line, um, where it was a back shoulder throw. It was just a seed, perfect pass that stands out. The catches, all the plays they made. Um, and yeah, we did say the game, it was not important in the trajectory of the program. If they won or lost, I think that's a distinction that some folks clearly miss. Now, what this game does, and rightfully so, Jason, is make expectations uh, ramp up. And if you watched Carolina yesterday and you'd never seen North Carolina play, uh, you ha- and a lot of people do that, especially the people that do rankings, uh, you have to think that this team can be really good next season knowing that everybody's significant except a couple defensive linemen come back but jason your thoughts on doing your job yesterday and how mac brown had uh, his guys ready to play they play temples a physical football team carolina's had issues with physical football teams on the lines for a while uh, not anymore it doesn't appear especially after yesterday yeah, I think that last bit was the most was the most significant piece is that you're looking at a team that uh when they were getting when they got hit in the mouth this year, they hit right back. And that that carried over again in this game. Uh Temple was a team that we talked about in the preview. They were going to bring a heavy pass rush. They were going to challenge Carolina on the line of scrimmage and it was gonna. It was gonna be a question of how well would they be able to protect Howell, and if if they could protect him, if they could respond up front. Then we thought Carolina would have a good chance to have a pretty good day against that secondary, even though they have some good players. But just uh, have a ha, the way that they'd uh, given up some points to say UCF uh, and SMU. We thought we thought there'd be some some potential for some big plays. Well, dang if they didn't. Dang if they didn't just. Uh, you know, do do that all all the more more than we than what we expected, and part of it was because even where Temple was physical and challenged them, Carolina ultimately was the the more physical and the more uh, dominant team. Just in, in terms of the attitude that they brought into this game, they matched what Temple brought to the table in that regard and exceeded it. And that, again, shows you something about the motivation level of this team as well, is that, you know, it would have been very easy for a lot of these seniors and a lot of the juniors uh, in particular to come into this game and say, yeah, you know, this is a reward. And, and, and that's what we talked about is that, you know, bowl games are a reward for, for players 
for a season where you you, you managed to to meet expectations in this situation, and it would have been easy for them to to come in with that kind of philosophy. And instead, they they basically came in and they 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 decided that that being there wasn't enough. That winning and 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 being dominant was really what they wanted. And you know you got to tip your cap to Mac and the uh, and the coaching staff because as we talked about it, in terms of program direction, winning or losing the military bowl is not going to determine your legacy. It's not gonna. It's not a. It's not a matter of, oh, you know they're gonna get recruits now because they won the military bowl. It's not a matter of that. But every time you strap it up, you want to win the game. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing Herm Edwards in my head here. You play to win the game. But you still have to persuade and convince your players to take that approach every time. And players aren't stupid. They understand how all this works. And then they were able to, they were able to do it. They were able to get that team motivated and loaded up to do that. And that, that says a lot. And that says a lot about where their mindset is going to be next year. Uh, and, and this it gives you a good sense, a good uh, feel for how you're going to approach things in the in the off season. You know now that all these guys are going to be 100% bought in. It's like, look, when you guys do your jobs, when you when you do what we ask you to do and you do it exactly as we ask you to do, this is what happens. You can you can play Clemson down to the wire, you can blow out a team that was in the top 25 most of the year. You know, look what look what we're able to do when we do that. Well, you put in another really good off season working with Hess, and then come in and and you're able to install a lot more of Jay Bateman's defense. And and you know he's only scratched the surface in terms of the packages that he's able to that, that he's going to be putting on the field next year. Uh, I mean, they only ran something like twenty percent of his defensive looks and defensive packages this year. If that tells you anything. So next year, they're going to have a lot more diversity there defensively as they're beginning to install second layer stuff. And they're going to have a lot better personnel in the secondary and elsewhere. So these guys know that, that there's a chance to be pretty good next year. And, and this was sort of a validation of what buy-in can do. And in that regard, like you guys said, it's not winning this game that really makes that big of a difference. I mean, winning, or like I said, winning or losing the military bowl, eh, okay. But you win the military bowl scoring 55, and you win 55 to 13. Now that actually, that restores some meaning to that, to, to, to talk about what, uh, what you're capable of doing, and, and that re- represents a nice step forward. Buck, in that regard, um, you know, and I, we can drill down into the specifics of the game, but I think <clears throat> the meaning of this is, is a lot more. Um, so for you, watching that game, I mean, for me, looking at watching them play, and I loved seeing them step up in the face of a Temple team, and we talked a little bit off the air and don't want to dwell on it, but a Temple team that was going to be physical, going to be chippy, going to be mouthy a little bit. And for for me as somebody that's watched Carolina football for a long time, I have not seen that response out of North Carolina. And it's been pretty much that all year, but especially in this game, uh, 
standing up. I think the last time I saw Carolina handle business like they did yesterday was in the Gator Bowl against Virginia Tech in 98. And we know who coached that game. We know whose team that was. I mean, that's for an older guy that's watched Carolina football a long time. That's what I saw. And that's what it sort of felt like to me watching it. Did you get that? Did you feel that? Or or um, is it something different for you? Because I, I think I don't want to get my expectations too high because we know these shows are a lot more fun when they're good. Um, so I think about how fun it'll be doing these podcasts next season. But what were your overarching thoughts at watching, especially the last three weeks of the season, but specifically yesterday? I thought it was sort of a, you know, and I spoke to this a little bit before, um, sort of a um, validation of what Mac Brown said when he came to North Carolina about what he wanted and what he expected and how he wanted the, the season to, uh, and the team to respond. Um, you know, everything from, you know, initially saying, you know, this is going to be about the seniors, you know, that, you know, we're not, you know, going to push them to the side and, and try to develop players for down the road. We want to win now. Uh, you know, I think that's that was huge. And the seniors responded. And when the seniors responded, I think everybody else on the team bought in. So, uh, you know, Jason Crawford, who I'm not Jason Crawford, Aaron Crawford, who grew up, uh, I think, 67 miles from uh, where they played yesterday. He had 52 got people there that he got tickets for. Um, and, and, you know, that just represents the kind of buy-in that the, the seniors uh, had in the team and how that filtered down to everybody else. And, and one thing, you know, we talked about the physical nature of that and of the game and how, you know, Temple's a physical team and they, they – have this mantra of we're, we're temple tough. Well, Sam Howell didn't get sacked yesterday. Um, North Carolina didn't punt the ball yesterday. Uh, they sacked Temple's quarterback three times. Uh, they were they had nine tackles for loss. Temple had five, and, and so against a team that prides itself on its toughness and you know in the trenches and kind of you know. Uh, I don't know if we would call Temple Northeast. I guess we would. That that sort of mentality about, you know, it's a cold weather game and you just have to be strong in the t- trenches and blah, blah, blah. Uh, North Carolina responded and was the tougher team. They were just tougher. And in the trenches and everywhere else. Uh, I, I like the fact that even though Temple was chippy and did a lot of talking and, you know, Diami Brown may have given them – back a little bit you know that piece of it but not in a uh you know in a way that would you know create some sort of penalty situation and uh so i like the fact that they rotated a lot of players yesterday greg barnes has commented on on this they they played a lot of guys yesterday on defense uh they rotated probably more than they have i'll be interested to see the snap counts uh either later today or tomorrow uh, but they rotated quite significantly on the defensive line uh, yesterday. And another player that I, you know, I, I can't get through this podcast without talking about is Don Chapman. 
Um, you know, we haven't really called his name a whole lot, but down the stretch, uh, you know, these last three games where, by the way, North Carolina has averaged giving up 10 points a game. And I don't, that's a pretty good number, no matter who you're playing. Um, Don Chapman has looked great. Uh, he, he has played well. He led them in tackles yesterday. Uh, so get, you know, Don Chapman, plus all the other players are getting at safety next year. And, uh, you know, uh, getting Wolf back and they're going to be so strong in the secondary next year. But, uh, the point is well made Tommy that, uh, that level of domination in a bowl game is not something we have seen, uh, since that, uh, 98, uh, well, the end of the 97 season Gator bowl, um, which was just total domination from start to finish. So, yeah, that I think that's the kind of game it was because in those days uh, they were playing a Big East team in Virginia Tech, and you know it wasn't, a, you know, considered a name brand necessarily at that point in time. Uh, just like Temple is not, but the the size of that victory certainly, uh, you know, put on display everything that Mac Brown had built to that point at North Carolina during his career. So he, he's gotten there a lot quicker uh, this time around, and I think it bodes well for next year. I think the buzz is going to be a lot greater as a result of this uh, bowl win, not just among the fan base, but among the media. So uh, all the way around, you know, the, it did conjure up some of those feelings that I had back in 98 watching them play in Jacksonville. Let me take a short time to talk about Johnny T-shirt. Of course, they've been their grace, great sponsor this entire football season and in the basketball season, johnnytshirt.com, of course, and Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Get all your Carolina gear. If you missed it for Christmas, uh, they still got stuff in the store. You can get everything you need, cold weather gear. I'm assuming that North Carolina has some cold weather at some point. I believe it's supposed to be 70 today or close to it. Uh, but Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com, your place to get any and everything you need Carolina-related. Of course, all the jerseys you could use tailgate stuff home stuff anything you need and if you're an inside carolina premium subscriber as you should be by now if you're not already you get 10 percent off that johnny t-shirt order both online and in store and you get their great customer service many thanks to johnny t-shirt for being this podcast sponsor and while i'm at it let's go ahead and take our other break we'll be right back talk more carolina football jason give me some uh highlights from the military bowl player wise that you saw on Friday afternoon. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking at the snap counts now and it's, uh, I, I was, I was right with Buck in terms of one of the big highlights for me was seeing more of the younger guys on the field, getting a little bit of a sneak peek of, of some of the, some of the potential for next year. So that was definitely one of the, one of the highlights for me. I, I one guy that stood out, a few times was Tyrone Hopper, who we hadn't seen a lot of so far this year, but he had 31 snaps and there were a few, you know, it was up and down a little bit, but he did flash some, some potential there on the edge. Uh, you know, we saw, uh, I thought uh, Raymond Vohasek had a couple plays that uh, were disruptive on the interior that were, were uh, good signs knowing that Aaron Crawford is, is no longer going to be the, the stalwart in the middle there. 
you know, I, I and I, I thought Storm Duck obviously uh, had himself a game, and in, in in particular, again in in certain certain situations against uh, against Temple's best playmaker and a guy that's been a really good playmaker all year. Uh, now they were the corners and defensive backs were all helped out by the fact that Temple's quarterback was actually worse than what we projected on our uh, on our preview podcast. You'll recall we had talked about well, you know. Looking at at how they've played all year with him, you know, it's just a matter of doing the, doing the same thing with him that they'd done against, say, the Duke uh, quarterback, and 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 looking at some of those things. You're looking at a guy that is likely to have that that level of uh, of uh, productivity, and you force him to beat you, and he'll probably turn it over. Well, man, not only did he turn it over, but he had some opportunities to make some to to throw some big plays and. Just couldn't find the target, so uh, you know that helped. But those guys, there, there was a little bit of unevenness early. There were some guys running free. That didn't happen. That was the other thing is that that didn't happen in the second half defensively, where they all those little things that they they could clean up. That stuff got cleaned up as the game went along, and I, I thought that was another big positive is seeing, uh, you know, Dom Ch- Don Chapman and. Uh, and Dom Ross and some of these guys in the back seven really starting to to come on in terms of their understanding of what Jay Bateman wants in the back seven so that they're they're going to be able to use more of the variety in, in Bateman's defense next year, especially as they add some of the guys that have been sitting out or hurt. Uh, that was that was probably the biggest highlight to me. Uh, now, I know a lot of the listeners are going to go, yeah, well, uh, what about the 55 points on offense? Well, and actually, come to think of it, they, they only scored only scored 48 points on offense because the defense got their, uh, their touchdown. But, yeah, I mean, the offense is what we, you know, they are, as Denny Green would say, uh, they are who we thought they were. I mean, that's – you're going to get the, the the quality play from the running backs. Uh, you know, Michael Carter being the first guy since Elijah Hood to go over a thousand yards. I thought that was a big deal, uh, and I think that's a big deal not just for Carter, but that's something that does matter for for uh, for recruiting. Is that you can talk to run, running backs like, look, we're going to have a thousand yard rusher and eight hundred yard rusher. We're going to have two thousand yard receivers for recruiting. Uh, you know, these are the sorts of things where you can you can pitch those numbers out there and say, look, we're going to this is a place where playmakers come to to put up numbers. And uh, and, and that's uh, that's a, uh, that's a solid a solid thing. And obviously we've talked about Sam Howell plenty, but the game is real different when you have a guy that you trust taking snaps like that. When you've got a playmaker at se- uh, under center and they went under center a few times. That's that's I guess one other thing we should talk about. But. Uh, I thought the place where it was the most obvious was in, in the last drive of the second uh, of the uh, second quarter. You know, the, the last drive of the half, they got the ball back with like 28 seconds, and nine times out of ten, you're going to watch a team kneel down and go to half there because you're getting the ball about the 25 yard line, and you're up a little bit. The last thing you want to do is turn the ball over there, give you, give the opposing team a little bit of momentum. So you're going to see teams kneel there almost all the time. The only teams you're not going to see kneel down at the end of the half there are teams that have 100% trust in their quarterback. And they say, look, 
our guy's not going to not going to throw a pick six. He's not going to put us in a bad position. We're going to trust that he's going to he's going to give us some chances. And you know what? We're going the odds are if we if we let him throw a couple times to the sidelines, we got a couple timeouts, we can put ourselves in scoring position and give ourselves a chance. And they did exactly that. You know, through a deep out right on the money, get out of bounds, hand the ball off, get about a 25-yard run, all of a sudden you're in field goal range. And it's all because you trust your quarterback. You know that that guy is going to make plays, and he's not going to make plays for the other team. That was another big highlight for me is just seeing the growth there and knowing how much they trust that guy and what that means for a team next year. Going into next year, knowing that you've got all those those returner, uh, returning playmakers and the trigger man is right there, that's a big deal. And, uh, and, and, that, the, and the importance of that, it's hard to overstate how important that is for a team in terms of its overall success, for, for the, the, the chance to be really, truly successful. I'm talking about, you know, eight, nine, ten win type season for next year is very much in the car in, in the potential cards because you've got a guy that, that you know you can turn the ball over to and feel confident that he's going to make plays for you but not take risks. And that's that's a big deal. But looking at Sam Howe, I thought, you know, we know what he can do through the air, but I thought two huge plays in this game and maybe for the future were those runs he had. And they were design runs, unless my eyes deceive me. And a lot of people all year have talked about – One of them wasn't. One of them wasn't. Well, he just took uh, – he took off. You're right. Yeah, one one of them wasn't. And the other one was actually a double option that then became a triple because they covered the outside receiver. So neither was actually designed for him to truly be uh, the the run guy. But it was a a possible – Option. So the one, if you remember, the one to the left that was early, that one was a. Uh, and actually, it's better that they weren't that they weren't truly designed runs, uh, because that shows that he's going to have more options in that regard next year. But uh, the one was a scramble where it was, he recognized man coverage and just took off to the left. The one to the right was a double option look where he's pulling the ball, but the design was actually to go on a pivot route to Daz Newsom. Uh, rather than for him to run with it. But they bracketed Newsom. And so since that wasn't there, he's able to keep it and, and, and run. And it looks like a design run, and it kind of is. But it's actually designed to be a handoff or the throw out to Daz Newsom. But if they're going to cover it, recover Newsom real hard, then quarterback, you got 30 yards of field in front of you, take it. That's that is the design of that play, and we're going to see a lot more of that next year. As long as they've got some, you know, having a little quarterback depth is going to matter there. Yep, and that's where I was going. And somebody on the message boards when they were talking about our last podcast said, "Get rid of those other two guys, but keep J- Jason Staples because of what he brings to the to what he just brought to this podcast." And corrected me, the analyst the analysis of the plays and, and all that type stuff. But, but Sam Howell being able to run the ball, just, I mean, Phil Longo's playbook just lays open. 
when that happens. And that's exactly what I thought of when I saw Hal take off there. It, it wasn't as graceful as some quarterbacks are. Uh, but folks have wondered, can he do that? He did it yesterday. And I just think, uh, like Jason said, you get some quarterback depth. You don't have to bubble wrap him as much next season. And then you add that on top of Brown and Newsome and all these guys coming back. Carter, assuming he's back, Javante Williams. I mean, Carolina's offense is going to be ridiculous potentially next season. Yeah. Um, Mac, I think it was at halftime, was asked about uh, the runs. I think both of them came in the first half, if I remember correctly. Um, he was asked at halftime about Sam running the ball and and he mentioned that, you know, this is the last game of the year. And so we don't have to worry about protecting Sam as much. Um, and, and so that's, you know, a part of his game that you'll see today that, you know, hasn't been on display previously. And if you think about it and, you know, you look at the number of sacks that North Carolina gave up this year. Well, those number of sacks were given up when a lot of opponents really weren't sure that Sam was going to take off with the ball. It, they they sort of knew, uh, particularly once you got to you know past the second or third game, that Sam wasn't looking to run the ball as much as he might otherwise would. That they were kind of protecting him a little bit, um, which they did not do in this game, and which they will not have to do next year. So. You know, the, the fact that they did, weren't able to sack uh, Sam yesterday at all, um, you know, part of that may have been due to the fact, well, they, I, we've got to worry that, uh, you know, he, he's going to slip out the, the backside uh, and, you know, gash us for a 20-yard run if we over overplay the the pass and, and, and that, in those ways. So, uh, yeah, that's a, a big factor going forward. Uh, still, uh, if I'm Phil Longo and Mac Brown, I'm still going to try to protect Sam a little bit. You know, he's he may do more of that next year, but you know, I don't I don't see them going full Marquise Williams with him uh, because what he brings on the other side in terms of throwing the ball is just way too valuable to lose. So, uh, but yeah, it adds a dimension that we'll see more of next year. And I'm uh, looking forward to that and just in general, looking forward to how this team does in the off season. We'll, we'll have to sweat out some decisions, you know, by uh, Chaz Surratt and Daz Newsom about what they're going to do in terms of the NFL draft and some other things and figure out, uh, you know, exactly what the roster is going to look like after the uh, transfer portal has its way both going and coming, but it's going to be a really interesting, uh, off season. And it got a lot more interesting because of the margin of victory that North Carolina had yesterday against temple. Uh, that's going to catch the eyes of a lot of people. And North Carolina is going to be one of those teams whose uh, name is going to be in the mix for the coastal division next year. By the time, uh, the summer rolls around. Jason, last question for this podcast, and we certainly uh, will be back. Spring practice will start before we know it. But what happens now for this team and this coaching staff? Where do they go from here 
in preparation for spring practice three months from now? So two things. Uh, I want to. I'll get to that in just a second. But one other thing that I think is worth noting about Howell is the way that he ran in this game. I have a sneaking suspicion that he was not healthy all year, in terms of uh, you know there were a couple times where he'd had a couple hits to the lower body and and uh, you know there, he, he was a little shaky. Uh, I have a suspicion that he was he was not playing one hundred percent in terms of his uh, his ability to run in, in during the season and uh, and that they were real careful as a result of that. In this game, we got to see what, what he looks like healthy. So it's worth noting that. I, I, I don't think he was 100% healthy for a good portion of the season as a runner. Now, as for coaches, for the remainder of for – the, for the offseason, for the, you know, the, the, the forthcoming months, there are a few things that you're going to do. One is you're going to sit down and you're going to self-scout and you're going to say, what, what worked this year? What, what do we need improvement on? So one thing that you already saw in this game that, uh, that, that I think is going to be a bigger point of emphasis in the offseason is, so, is a few different options in the red zone and particularly the tight zone when you get inside the 10-yard line. They went under center. They went into some uh, – uh, you know, power type formations there. I think you're going to see some more uh, study from the from the coaching staff and more game, more planning for additional options in short yardage and in, in goal line situations for next year, because that'll be something that they'll identify as we need to get better on that for next year. Uh, you start to evaluate uh, beyond once you get past the the recruit. You know, they're going to be focusing heavily on 2021 recruiting. Uh, because they've gotten the 2020 class nearly nearly complete. Now the focus is you turn to to developing relationships and identifying exactly who you want in that 2021 class, and you try to make that the best class that the school's ever signed. Uh, so you're focusing on those things. Once signing day is over, though, and you get into spring and you get into all that, the real focus is on uh, – identifying, okay, who do we have on the roster? Who's, who's coming in transfer portal? What can we do next year to take a step forward in terms of adding on to what we're doing now? What do we pull out that just doesn't line up with our, with our personnel? And then beyond that, you make sure that Hess and his group have exactly what vision and culture you want put forward to your players all off season. And there, uh, you're just trying to, to develop to that vision over the course of the offseason and making sure that these players are taking care of business with Hess and taking care of business in spring practice and then taking care of business with Hess again in the, in, after spring practice to make sure that you come in next year in great shape. And then, of course, through the next five months, you're going to be putting in the game plans, the preliminary game plans for each week of next year. That's where your quality control assistants and support staff and all of those, those folks, they're already going to be breaking down USF and, or I'm sorry, UCF, uh, UCF and Auburn film. That stuff's already going to get, get started in another week or two. They're already going to be breaking down UCF and, and Auburn game, game film personnel doing all that report, all those reports. That's going to be getting done in January for the preliminary game plan for when they play those teams in the fall. 
and you're going to start going through January and February, those preliminary, the, the first level game plans are already going to be done at that point. So you're spending all that time doing that uh, in addition to recruiting, in addition to your own self scout and all of that. So, I mean, the, 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 the focus is already on next year and on taking that major step forward next year uh, to, to, to again, put this program in the position to not just be a team that, wins a military bowl impressively, but has a chance at, you know, playing games that matter a whole lot more. Buck, I will let you button it up. This is our last day after podcast of the year. We'll be back doing this specific podcast until the fall that Jason speaks of, but uh, button this one up for us, for our listeners and for the folks of Inside Carolina. Well, one thing I wanted to do before we close the show is mention the name of Bo Corrales. I don't know if that's a wrap up or, or what, but that, uh, the couple of catches that he had after the catch, he just manhandled defenders. And, you know, that's, I think that's an attitude that permeates the entire team. And, uh, if, if North Carolina has gotten a bad rap as a football team over the years, it's on the toughness and physical uh, physicality side of things. And so if, if this game, uh, turns out to be a, uh, a way of foreshadowing what we can look forward to in future years, uh, they're off to a good start on repairing that image of, of being a too soft of a team. So I'll wrap it that way. I a hundred percent agree with that. That, like I said earlier, is probably the, the biggest thing I saw this season, and especially towards the end of the season is how they manhandled and roughed up other teams. And that has not been the case for quite a long time for North Carolina football. Uh, bodes well. The flash, I said, I tweeted yesterday that the flash and the offense and throwing the ball around, that's cool. Um, but to see them be able to push around other teams, get an- Antonio Williams that touchdown when they just ran it down Temple's throat, and to play that physical brand of football, it's been a long time coming for North Carolina. It's funny to me or ironic to me that it takes Matt Brown to get it back in Chapel Hill. Um, we'll see how it carries over into the offseason, into spring ball, over the summer, and then against UCF in September 3rd or 4th, whenever they decide to play that football game. Jason and Buck, always been a pleasure, always been fun. Certainly more fun to do them when Carolina wins the ball game. But either way, it's been my pleasure to have you guys on this show all year. And I do appreciate y'all taking the time. Enjoyed it. This is my favorite uh, thing to do for Inside Carolina's East podcast because I can always learn something uh, listening to Tommy's X and O's analysis and <laughs> Jason's, uh, you know, uh, overall 10,000 foot level. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.